You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. We are in a series right now called Deeply Connected Community. And all of this is ramping up. We're trying to lay the foundation uh, for our launch of community groups in the first week of October. And so as I've been thinking about this this week, you know, one of the most common obstructions, I would call them, that we face when it comes to building deeply connected community is actually priority. Now, here's what I mean by that. We all want to satiate the longing for community that we carry. Every one of us, every human who has ever lived, has had an, uh, an innate longing for connection with God and connection with other people. The challenge is we often don't want to prioritize the time and the work that it requires. What most of us want is what I would call community by osmosis. I was thinking about that, 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 this all this week and that phrase popped into my head and so I realized I don't really know what osmosis is. So... <laughs> I did what any good pastor does. I, I punched it into chat GPT to ask what osmosis was. Um, I read the response. I was terribly confused. And so I asked it again <laughs> to explain it to me this time at a first grade level. I'm not, I'm not even joking. Because that's about when science stopped making sense to me. And so, and so here's what, what came back. This is my second, so I said, didn't, didn't understand the first time. Explain this at a first grade level. The response was, sure, exclamation point. I'm reading this verbatim, which I just want you to know, I really appreciated AI's enthusiasm <laughs> when it discovered how actually dumb I am. <laughs> so sure, imagine you have a sponge with tiny holes in it, and you put it in a bowl of water. I was like, all right, I'm tracking, I get this. The water will start moving into the sponge through the tiny holes. That's a bit like osmosis, another exclamation point. It wants me excited about learning science. <laughs> osmosis is when water moves through something, like a cell's skin to where there's less water. It's like water trying to even things out. Now, what concerns me is I still don't know I totally understand <laughs> how osmosis works. But I think the point is that the water simply moves on its own where it is needed. And if that's not it, I don't care anymore, okay? <laughs> now, we've all, heard, we've all heard this phrase, learning by osmosis. It's, it's a metaphor for absorbing information unconsciously. And I think if we're honest, most of us really want community by osmosis, meaning we want community to happen passively. We want it to happen without the conscious effort that it requires. We don't want to have to prioritize what it takes to actually build it from the ground up. We simply want it to happen to us. And the problem with that is that's not how community works. We have to prioritize what it takes to actually build it. And so that's what this whole series is about in general. But this morning, uh, I really want to focus on what might be arguably the most basic practice required if we are going to practice the, uh, or prioritize building deeply connected community in our lives. And so this morning, I want to talk about the power of physical presence. The power of physical presence. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to read on, uh, do me a favor and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. For some reason, I always have a hard time finding Hebrews in the New Testament. So if you need the table of contents, there's no shame in that. 
We're going to be in Hebrews 10. Uh, We're going to look at verses 19 to 25. And while you're turning there, as usual, I want you to understand a little bit about this book as a whole before we focus our attention on just a few verses within it. So one thing you should know about Hebrews is that in in many ways it begins and ends like a letter. So like so many of the other uh, epistles or letters that are present in the New Testament, this one begins and ends in a very similar manner. What's different is the bulk of it actually reads like a theological essay. And its most unique factor is actually how little we know about the details that are surrounding it. For instance, we don't know for sure who the author was. And scholars have guessed at everyone from Priscilla to Paul, but no one knows for sure. We also don't know exactly when it was written, but scholars believe it was somewhere in the middle of the first century. From the details and the subject matter that are within it, the letter appears to be written to second-generation Christians with a strong Jewish background that were, presi- that were living presumably somewhere in Italy. Now, what we know for sure is that the author wanted to help his or her readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite the temptation to give up. See, the same thing that was true then is still true today. And that is that lifelong faith is very hard. I can't tell you, I mean, I've been following Jesus for over 35 years now. And whether it was as a high school kid or as a pastor in my adult years, I can't tell you how many people I've met who have had some sort of what we might call spiritual uh, experience in their life. So maybe at a retreat or a summer camp or in a worship service like this or some collection of circumstances come together and produce a spiritual experience of some sort and they are enthusiastic and they are passionate and they are fired up about relationship with God and then all of a sudden they disappear. And the reason for that is that lifelong faith to follow Jesus with one's life for the entirety of it is very, very hard. For instance, there are internal and external challenges. There are spiritual forces at play. There is basically this ocean of opposition that is bent on shipwrecking our faith. And so Hebrews was written to help people like you and I to love Jesus and to love one another for the long haul. And these verses in particular tell us a bit about how. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Let's drop in at verse 19 and listen along. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now, pause there for a second because these verses are a great example of what this book is like as a whole. Hebrews is filled with imagery that would have been very familiar to first century Jews, but is often extremely foreign to you and I. And so here in verse 20, the author refers to a curtain in the sanctuary. Now, if you don't know, in the Jewish temple, there was this massive curtain similar to the one that's up on the screen right now that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that most holy place is where the manifest presence of God dwelled on earth with his people in uh, in that period of time. Now, the high priest, who was basically like in charge of the temple, would only enter that space, the Holy of Holies, one time a year. The rest of the time, it was never occupied by human beings. But one time a year, on Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, Matthew 27, 51 
Mark 15, 38, and Luke 23, 45, all report that that curtain that was meant to be this physical separation between people and the presence of God, that curtain tore from the top down in half. And here in Hebrews, Hebrews, in Hebrews, the author picks this imagery up and says, hey, don't, don't forget, we don't need a high priest to offer sacrifices as an atonement for our sin anymore. Because Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all. And through trust in his sacrifice, we're invited through the curtain and into the relational presence of God. And so as a result of what this author calls the new and living way, the author then gives us three invitations. The first one is this, draw near to God's presence. Draw near to God's presence. Look at verse 21. It says, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's speaking about Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So because the sacrifice of Jesus washes away all past, present, and future sin that would separate us from God, the author invites us to draw near to God's presence. Now the problem is, and I've said this before and will continue to emphasize this, most of us settle for God at a distance when intimate relationship is offered to us. And I would, I would argue that the two most common expressions of relationship with God that I see are uh, what I would call God as vending machine and God as insurance policy. And these are not the same thing. Now God as vending machine doesn't have very much interest in actual relationship. The real goal is to get from God what we want. And so the way that it works is our prayers and our practices are like this spiritual currency that we put in so that God is then obligated to spit out what we demand. Now, God as insurance policy gives even less thought to daily relationship with God. He's simply there for the rainy days in our lives. So when tragedy strikes, difficulty arises, when the wheels fall off, then we kind of throw up this Hail Mary prayer because we are in this place of desperation. And until I breathe my last breath, I want to continue to plead with people to see that God wants so much more. He longs for us to have a transforming face-to-face relationship with him. And so the author of Hebrews pleads with us to draw near to God's presence. Now, the second invitation is this. Hold on to our confession. Hold on to our confession. Look at verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Now, that little phrase, confession of our hope, that's really meant to be a summation of everything that we believe as followers of Jesus. So when you think about the body of belief that we have, as a people of faith in Jesus, this confession of our hope, it's, it's all of that. And so the writer's saying, and don't, don't waver, hold on tight to that. And that's a necessary encouragement because the reality is life is constantly trying to pull hope from our weary hands. Let, let me give you an example. Let's have, a, let's have a moment of shared honesty. Do me a favor, and I want you to just raise your hand. I'll be the first to go. If you've ever had even fleeting thoughts of walking away from your faith in God, okay? 
meaning like, keep them up, be loud and proud about this, about how horrible your faith is, okay? Now, just, just look around the room. Notice, like, I think virtually every, except for the disobedient ones, everyone else still has their hands up, okay? Apparently, we need another one. Like, who's got an authority issue? You know what? You'd all be like, screw you. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to answer, okay? So listen, <clears throat> the point in this is to say, I was just attacked by a fly. Did you see that? Okay, this is going really, really good. The point is to say that doubt is a normative part of our faith. And the good news is that we are also reminded here, in addition to like just hold on, we are reminded that God is faithful. And so what that means is even when you are tempted, you have been tempted, you are, maybe you're in a season of it right now, It'll come for you in the future if it has not already, but even when you find yourself tempted to give up on God, he's never given one thought to giving up on you. He's faithful. And because of his faithfulness toward us, we can hold on. And so because of how common that pull is within us to throw in the towel, the author of Hebrew urges us to hold on to our confession. Don't give up. And then finally, number three, we're invited to gather together regularly. Gather together regularly. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, as we are in this fresh season of building community, this is where I really want to focus our attention. Because this third invitation is critical to our experience of the first two. Meaning, as Christians, we aren't only called to draw near to the presence of God in private. We are also called to draw near to God's presence together, which is what we do every Sunday like this. Furthermore, one of the most important ways that we fight to truly hold on to our confession is to choose to follow Jesus together. One reason that so many people have lost their faith in the last few years is because of forced isolation that we lived through. And so we're invited here to give serious consideration to how we can best encourage one another and prioritize gathering regularly to do just that. And so here's, here's really what we have to see this morning. I know this is very obvious, but it's no less worthy of being reiterated. It's our big idea, which is this. There is simply no flourishing community without a commitment to physical presence. So the like Instagram community you have, the TikTok hell that you live in, oftentimes culturally now we refer to that as like one of the primary means by which we build community. I'm here to tell you that's not the same kind of community that's talked about in the scriptures. God wants more for us than a couple thousand randos that we don't actually interact with day to day. There is simply no flourishing community without a commitment to physical presence. Notice, community is not just a mental exercise. It isn't just an idea. It is a concrete experience. And we have to actually be together in order to build it. And this, again, is why so many relationships were so significantly damaged throughout the last couple of years. We couldn't be together physically, and many communities suffered as a result, and the way that we want to begin gathering together frequently and physically is through our community groups. And so as I, I've explained, groups are going to meet weekly 
in two-month chunks, beginning in the month of October, uh, with roughly a month off in between those two-week semesters. Now, what I know is, just thinking about my own experience, and I would bet that we all share this in common, um, a weekly commitment like that is a significant commitment for most of us. Most of us don't have just like tons of extra nights just laying around. So for us to commit to something weekly like that, it's a very, very big commitment. And it's often filled with logistical challenges in schedules that are already stretched very, very thin. And so what I know is from having conversations with people and my own experience, many of us feel stuck. And where we feel stuck is we feel stuck between our longing for community on the one hand and these logistical obstacles to it on the other. We're in that space. And so the question is, how do we move toward making space to be physically present with our community groups? I would argue that there's two essential elements that have to come together. The first one is conviction. It's conviction. Now, here's a fact on which I bet we can all agree. We won't sacrifice for something that we don't believe in. Agreed? Why would you do that? Like, no, no one's going to sacrifice for something that they don't believe in. But the flip side of that is also true. We will sacrifice almost anything if it's for something we feel deep conviction is important. I'll give you a silly example. Uh, I keep hearing about, uh, some of this is from people in our own community that participate in this, but I keep hearing about the physical and the mental benefits of jujitsu. And, and I like, I would love to try that. It's aggressive, and like it's all of my love languages mixed into one thing. It sounds amazing. But here's the thing. From everywhere I've looked, it's like $200 a month. And unless I'm going to be an actual UFC fighter inside of six months, I feel like for me right now that sacrifice is too steep. But if I really believed that jujitsu alone would transform my dad bod into a warrior inside of two months, I would gladly pay that fee. The problem is I lack conviction that it will. So the sacrifice in that case is simply too steep for me. And in the same way, relationship always requires sacrifice from us. And if we aren't convinced of the importance of those relationships, we simply will not make the necessary sacrifice. And so if we are going to move toward prioritizing the space necessary to be physically present with our community groups, we have to carry a real conviction that it matters. Now, the second thing that we need is creativity. Creativity. Because even if we carry the conviction that community is essential, we are still, again, we're faced with just a host of obstacles to actually experiencing it, which means believing in it isn't enough. We also have to have a very deep mental, emotional, practical commitment to finding creative ways to overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Now, I would bet, and this might be an overgeneralization, but it's a relatively safe one, but most of our obstacles fall into one of two categories. On the one hand, maybe our obstacles to stepping into something like a community group are primarily what we might call mental-emotional ones, meaning Maybe we've had a very bad experience with something like this in the past, and as a result, we're afraid to try again. That would be totally understandable. Maybe, and I think this is true for many of us, increasingly so in our culture, but maybe we just have a real mental resistance to making a weekly commitment like that. We are increasingly commitment-phobic 
in our culture. And so maybe it's just something as simple as that. But some of our obstacles are, again, mental, emotional. Now, there's a second category where they're just practical. So maybe you have young kids who have nap times or who have earlier bedtimes in the evening. Maybe your kids are like a little older like mine, and so like me, you're a glorified unpaid Uber driver 90% of the time. And finding a regular week night to be able to connect is challenging. Maybe you uh, have a lot of travel in your life. Maybe you have a job with hours that seem prohibitive. Regardless, the thing in this is that every obstacle is simply a problem to solve. And problems are solved through creative thinking. And so here's what I want to ask. If you see an obstacle that is blocking your way from being in a community group, I would love to be able to talk with you about that and see if there's a way that we can creatively solve it together. So even today, in a few minutes when Pastor Tyler has you fill out the info card and tells you like we do every week to send in a prayer request, maybe you can just jot a note in there about here's, here's, here's my obstacle, here's what I'm struggling with, and then one of us will try to follow up and see if we can find a solution. Maybe we can't, but my guess is a vast majority of problems with conviction and creativity can actually be solved. If we are going to move toward making space to be physically present with community groups, we need conviction and creativity. Now, as we get ready to close this portion of our service, one of the things I find the most interesting about Jesus in the Gospels is how frequently he puts virtually the same question to so many people around him. We see this in all four Gospels in so many different places. We see Jesus putting some version of this question to people. What do you want? So oftentimes we find Jesus, someone has come to him and he says, what do you want me to do for you? This is a question of desire. Over and over and over again, he asks a diverse group of people, what do you want? And as I've been praying this week about how to best close this particular piece of teaching, that's the question that I hear Jesus putting to you and I. What do you want? And if our answer is, Jesus, I really want you to build community around me, then we have to embrace the reality that it is going to require us to be physically present together. Now, that being said, if what we want is an extra couple hours to ourselves each week or the freedom of not taking on a commitment like a community group, that is certainly a choice that Jesus affords us. We simply need to understand that every choice comes at a cost. And so if we choose to prioritize community, it will cost us commitment. And on the other side, if, if we choose freedom from that commitment, then it is going to cost us some degree of community. And, and please, please understand, I in no way intend that to be guilting or shaming at all. We simply have to be willing to take responsibility for our choices. Because I continue to hear Christians, both within our church and outside of our church, that bemoan their lack of community while simultaneously bumping up against an unwillingness to prioritize what it takes to build one. And what I would argue is that's simply not fair. We have to be willing to take responsibility for our choices. There is simply no flourishing community without a commitment to physical presence. 
And so I'm inviting you to commit to the choice of being physically present with a small group of fellow Christians every week. And so the real question is, what do you want? Spend just a couple minutes doing some Q&A. First up, if community groups roll out next month, will, when will we be placed into groups? We're going to be working on that this week. I've already drawn up uh, a handful of groups and how we would place them, but we're going to be checking with people. We still have to figure out uh, time uh, and place and all of that. So uh, the priority has been first and foremost talking to uh, people who might be willing to uh, lead groups and host groups. So we're getting that nailed down, and then uh, we're going to be working to get people placed and uh, figure out what nights and all of that works best. Can you check to see if this mic's mute? Uh, hot? It's feeding back. Great. Next question. Uh, next question. There we go. What would you say to someone who has not had success finding community in large groups? My ideal size is three to six people, and I tend to be more uncomfortable if groups get larger than that. Um, ditto, I would say. Um, I would say, what advice would you have? I would say that <clears throat> most of us don't have the capacity to like really be close to more than three or four people, probably in general. Uh, and so I would just say to do your best in the midst of this. Um, I mean, we have a very long history of groups of this size and groups of this scope being effective at helping to build community. But oftentimes what happens, even within larger groups, even like, I mean, I know a group of 12 people is not large, but in groups of that size is oftentimes within those groups, there are people who tend to get uh, closer to one another. But the context in which that happens is the larger group. Okay? Uh, if that happens again, we'll just ditch the mic altogether. Uh, and so I would say, like, do your best, lean into community where you can, and, uh, and, and allow God to really grow uh, community out of that. Next question. How are we considering families with children as part of community groups? Are we expecting that parents need to hire a babysitter each week? How can our community groups, how can our community support parents and their kids to be part of groups? Um, that's a great and common problem to solve creatively, for sure couple of different ways. I will set you free. I want you to hear there is no universe when our kids were little in which Tammy and I would have paid a babysitter to have our date night be a small group. I wouldn't do that now. This is not a replacement for my date night. Uh, and so I, I don't want anyone to feel that pressure. So a couple of different things. One would be uh, there would be the option, depending on when your group meets, that you could host a group and that your kids could be in bed during that time, potentially, depending on, again, how old they are. Uh, another option would be that, I mean, if you wanted to, you absolutely could hire a sitter. I just don't want anyone hearing pressure. Groups could pool together, and they could uh, have, a, have someone that comes to one of the homes to watch all the kids in one place. That would be another option. What isn't going to, to work and what would be prohibitive is, like, having there really be no child care and just chaos happening. So we're not going to have that. So we do, unless a baby, uh, you have like a, a young baby who's probably still breastfeeding six months, somewhere in there, up to six months, that can be present uh, in the group with you. We do want to try to have kids not in at least the same room uh, as everything else that's going on. So we're going to be working with individual groups to try to solve some of that problem. But again, 
don't want you to hear me saying in any way that the expectation is that you pay a sitter every single week to do this. We want to find ways to be able to solve this and, as the question asked, to support one another in the midst of it. Next question. I want to go to Jesus all the time, but I don't. When I'm in pain, I go to him. How can I move away from making Jesus my consolation prize? That's a great question. Um, I would say to move away from being reactionary in your relationship with Jesus. And the way that we do that is by having a set, what I've always called a set time, place, and plan. So that in the ideal, there is a daily time and place in which you are going to sit with God. doesn't matter what's going on in your life. You might be in a season where everything's going great. You might be in a season where it feels like everything hurts. But regardless, we build in the consistent habit and rhythm of I sit with God every single day. And that tends to be the best way for us to get out of this very reactionary place where we only go to God when the wheels are falling off of our lives. So that's probably the most... uh, helpful, significant way to move away from that is to pick time, place, plan every day, regardless of what's going on. I'm going to invest that time to be able to sit with God and learn to relate with him in the midst of the day-to-day rather than just in the midst of the crisis point. All right? Hopefully that's helpful. Um, I'm going to invite Pastor Tyler to go ahead and come up now. He's going to give us a couple of closing announcements. You know what we haven't done? We haven't clapped for Pastor Tyler in a long time as he comes up. If only, if only, I'm going to go. Okay, I'm going to go. Wow, so respectful. <laughs> oh, I love the clap. That's always fun. Because uh, I know everyone's so excited to hear the same announcements you could all get up here and give. But regardless, uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're new with us this morning, we want to say welcome. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for our worship service. Also, those getting up are not, like, boycotting the 